Business owners are cluing into the fact that Bitcoin is here to stay, but its adoption is only about where internet adoption was in the mid-90s. In other words, there's still a ton of upside and opportunity. If you want to learn how other business owners and entrepreneurs are using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses so that you can too, stick around at the end of this episode to hear the trailer for my newest podcast, Business Bitcoinization. And now, on to today's episode. Today, we are talking employee engagement and innovation. Welcome to the Life as Leadership podcast, where leaders gather to grow together. I'm your host, Josh Friedemann, and our guest today is the Thought Leaders Leader. He is the publisher and editor-in-chief of Professional Performance Magazine, editor of the Leadership Mastery and Sales Mastery blogs, a former nationally syndicated radio talk show host, as well as a published author of 31 books, including four bestsellers and four graduate management textbooks. He is a leadership columnist and highly sought global professional speaker on performance psychology. Here is Jeffrey McGee. Jeff, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Good to see you and great to have the opportunity to share some thoughts and ideas. Absolutely. So I'd like to start off every single interview with a few questions that help us to get to know you better as a leader and give us some insight for our own lives. Are you ready for these? Let's rock it. All right. What is some lesson saying or experience that continues to influence your leadership to this day? Do not accept anything that anyone says or does unless you know it to be fact, verify, validate, and uh, just be really conscious about who you align yourself with and who you associate yourself with. I mean, we as individuals are, not to make it sound cliched, we are a product. We are our own brand. And your brand, you take years to create and uh, you can implode it in one fast second. So always be conscious of what you're doing where you are and where you're going, and make sure that aligns with your values and the people you want to align to with their values. Use three descriptors to finish this sentence. A leader is? Bold, brilliant, and has foresight. I was looking for that 3B alliteration, but we'll take, we'll take those three right there. <laughs> it, it's like the model for, for humor. You know, two, two go and one doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> Subversive. I like it. What is a question that leaders should be asking either themselves or others? You know, it's a great question because context is going to influence what that question is. I believe uh, 2020 provided an opportunity for the planet to kind of look at the optics through their leadership global lens. And so I think the answer is what we've always got to be zeroing in on is over the horizon. I think so many times we focus on right now, right here, that we're not recognizing what are the ramifications and implications of our decisions and actions now with tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, the next decade. And a lot of businesses found themselves in trouble during 2020 because they really were so fixated on right now in 2019 going into 2020. No one really had backup plans, contingency plans. No one was really thinking about how diverse was their portfolio of customers or products or, or employee base. So I really think it's, it's about being able to look over the horizon in the future. And not a lot of people have that ability. What is a book that you would recommend to leaders? Oh, man, I get asked that question a lot. And so here's my, here's my cop out. I seldom recommend a book by title, name, or author. What I did learn a long time ago that's a better answer to that question is reading should be a formula. So for our viewers, whatever professional track they're in, they can answer and find better books to read than whatever the pop book of the day is. So I read books in a formula. I'm always reading a 
technical book on my profession. So imagine whatever your profession is, whether you are an engineer, an attorney, a business entrepreneur. Well, what's what's a business entrepreneur? Well, what lane are you going into as a, in your business? Imagine that there was a college course in that. What would that college be um, having its students read as an academic book? You can go online to any college in America or the world and see what professors are using, see what's in their bookstore, and you can order that book. So part of the formula is, what would be the textbook on your topic? You should always be reading one of those. What's the, the pop book right now that everyone's buying and excited about because it's available at Barnes & Noble or Amazon or what have you? Have that one so you can kind of see what the masses are reading. Read an autobiography or biography on a person within your industry or a business within your industry so we can learn from them, you know, be able to benchmark all the KPIs of what they've learned and what they've learned as mistakes. And then the last one would be, in essence, you know, really a how-to book that's within your space. So there's about four or five categories from which you can select a, a book to be reading. And I think that's going to accelerate you faster beyond everyone else in the market space over everyone who's just running to read the same book. The trap we fall into, and it's a great question, Josh, you posed, is that we fall into groupthink in society and in businesses where if Josh says, oh, my God, I just read this great book, well, everyone runs to read it. Well, that's good. But what else are you putting into your brain? I mean, there's a great adage, garbage in, garbage out. And there's a lot of garbage out there that people think is the greatest wisdom of the day. But usually what it really comes down to is some people are really good at self-marketing. But they're one-hit wonders. They got one thought in their head. And if you push them very hard to talk about it, you'll find they reloop very quickly back to the same. If you could get every listener to start doing something this week to help them be a better leader, what would that thing be? Wow, Legacy. Legacy meaning if we could stop and recognize what is it that you're doing that someone's going to chronicle, someone's going to, you know, carve into stone to be a part of, uh, you know, your memory, your remembrance, your videotape, you know, what is your legacy? Uh, you know, your actions, your behaviors, your comments, what are you contributing to the people around you? How do you plus the people around you? How do you plus your business? How do you plus the environment? How do you plus your customers? You know, we live in a planet today where sadly, again, back to your question about a leader being bold, um, not very many people have the guts or the brains to speak up and say truth. A lot of people, they think they're saying truth, but they're, they're, they're saying either revisionist history or rhetoric when you really boil it down. And so I think we need to be more cognizant of what's our legacy at the end of the day, because no one has proof tomorrow's going to arrive. So what did you do today to contribute from your original unique DNA, the gifts that you've been given, how do you leverage those? How do you monetize those? So you can make yourself and better uh, and make those around you better. Uh, again, it's almost biblical. I mean, you, you can't help someone else if you're, if you're first not whole and healthy yourself. And our final question, we call our arbitrary but insightful question, and that is this. As a general life principle, is it better to ask why or why not? Oh, I, I love the why not. Let's be a contrarian. Everyone's asking why. I mean, someone made a book out of why. Everyone's jumped on the bandwagon of why. I think the why not, because the why not's going to challenge a deeper thought. See, again, the problem with our planet, the problem with our neighborhoods, the problem with our businesses is that we don't have deep thinking going on anymore. And again, without getting into politics or rhetoric, you know, for the last 30 years, K-12 has been dumbing down society. And, and it is so easily proven, I'm not even going to have a lobotomy to get into the conversation with all the eggheads that are out there. But if you think about human beings as a product, you and I as employers, I mean, I work with, with businesses globally, that typically around three to 400 million at the bottom of my line and up into the multi-billion. And it is absolutely challenging in 2019 to find great employees. But post 2020, as we're going in down to 21 and 22, it's very difficult to find individuals that can think for themselves, 
that can engage in critical thinking, that know how to make wise decisions, that, that can look at a statement that's being made and just look at it and say, you know what, on the whole, that's stupid. It makes no sense. But people are drinking the Kool-Aid of stupid all over the planet and they're going back for second and third helpings every day. So I, I really think it comes back to, again, we've got to get smarter about what we're doing. So why not goes deeper? And then we can start to see, wow, now we have great solutions to almost every problem on the planet. We'll be back with the rest of our interview right after this. As the leader of your organization, you have a lot on your plate. You work most of your day, leaving you little time to think about your own development. There's a resource for you, and it's called the Leadership Action List. Get the best leadership development tips for leaders by leaders at leadershipactionlist.com. The best news? It's free. Once again, for a year's worth of weekly leadership development, download the Leadership Action List at leadershipactionlist.com. Well, Jeff, I'm looking forward to getting into the rest of our conversation. These initial six questions in and of themselves have provided a lot of value through your answers. I want to talk today about a couple different things that you can really speak to, and that is how to have an engaged workforce as well as how to build an innovation to your company. But first of all, you have this incredible academic background, but also this incredible business background. And offline, we were talking about this a little bit, but I'd love for you to share about the the, the marriage of those two, how to take the best from both worlds and build it into something that's really valuable and different than what other people in the marketplace are delivering? Great question. So, you know, the academic is great for all of us, whether we're talking K-12 or beyond that into, you know, the collegiate years, um, or if you are more so inclined to go to, down the vocational tech years. But what, what academic provides is sound reasoning. Academic should be providing the abilities I made common a minute ago to be able to reason to be able to challenge thought in terms of, as you said, the whys or the why not, and, and get into the ability to look at things at a baseline, you know, kind of like root cause analysis. You know, what's really at the root of success or failure or mediocrity? And, and why are some people complacent as to the difference as to why some people are engaged as you just asking the question? So that's the academic side. So it's based upon some sound logic and reasoning. The challenge is at the end of the day, if you don't generate revenue, how are you going to keep the light bulbs on? So, you know, as Margaret Thatcher said years ago, the great thing about socialism is it's everyone else's money. The bad thing about socialism is eventually you're going to run out of everyone else's money and then someone's going to have to actually work. So you have to have some brain power. You know, Benjamin Franklin had a classic line that said, the person who empties their purse into their head will never be bankrupt. I mean, you can lose that shirt you're wearing, the jacket I'm wearing, the house we live in, the cars we drive. But if you have some some knowledge and wisdom between your ears, some gray matter, then you can always reboot and bounce back. So with that, that's the academic. Now, the practitioner side, though, is what's the artistry you have in your head? Call that white collar if we were to put a label on it. Or what's the artistry in your hands if we were to call that in us as blue collar? I hate labels, but it gives us at least a point of reference. What I recognized early on is that if you can bring value to the marketplace, someone's going to want to monetize that, whether they hire you as an employee or you start your own business. Once you are an employee or you're in business, you always have to be growing yourself, developing yourself and challenging yourself. Even if you love the job you have and you want to stay in it, you have to keep evolving because the marketplace demands that we are different every day to some degree. So what's the value you can bring to your organization? People say, well, I'm not making enough money. Okay, well, there's an easy answer. What's the value you're bringing to your organization? With all due respect, it's called an entry-level job for a freaking reason. It's an entry-level job. 
So if you want to make more money and go up the ladder, whatever that means in your head, get more value, become more innovative. There's another part of your question. Think about how you can become more proficient in your job, how you can train other people and show other people how to become more efficient, proficient, and profitable. So the value you bring to the marketplace should be a direct correlation to your stature and your income. But that's a bold statement that some people have a challenge with. Well, usually the people that have the biggest challenge with it are individuals that have never signed in front of a paycheck. You sign in front of a paycheck and you'll understand how business works real quickly. And you'll realize how much money you had in one hand, but real quickly, a lot of that money disappears to go to other people. And then it makes you a little bit more bold and critical on how those people invest or spend or waste your money. So great question, but it's marrying the two together. And that's what I've learned from, you know, graduating from college to go into journalism was my passion. Spent a couple of years in Kansas City in journalism, received a couple of awards very quickly out of the gate, which is, very, um, I guess, anticlimactic to think, okay, the next 50 years of my life is the same thing. And I realized I wanted more. And that was in, that was then accelerated by the fact in the 1980s, you know, journalism was very negative, bitter industry. It's all about, in essence, you know, who can I tear down really was the mantra. What's negative? You know, the old statement of what, what bleeds leads. Uh, again, journalism is not that way today at all. It's incredibly positive and, and, and forward focused. So, you know, again, I left it and went into sales, and that migrated me 30 years later where I am in terms of being in sales with a Fortune 100 company, experiencing downsizing. Again, from my side, getting fired is not good, but downsizing from a business standpoint is simply a quick way to make your balance sheet look good for your investors. So that taught me about how people basically run a business, whether they have integrity or not, and you know, jump forward several other employments later and companies I've started and created and sold, and here we are today. So the next question is about engagement, because I want to talk about engagement and innovation. I'm guessing that engagement is a precursor to innovation. You can correct me if I'm wrong there, but you have this three-step formula for an engaged workforce. And I'd love for you to share with us those three steps. So great question. So there's a couple of models I use in our leadership development program. And one of the things I've recognized in terms of creating change, which in this case we can apply to how do you create engagement, is there's really three steps to it. And, and one of the ways I kind of figured it out is think about your cell phones. You know, we all have a cell phone. If you go on your cell phone to look something up today, more often than not, when you, when you get ready to go to that website to look at whatever it is you're hunting for, you're held hostage by a three, four, five, six second commercial that pops up. See, again, the online search engines have identified a way to innovate and monetize even now when you're trying to search for something. And in that three, four, five, six seconds, that ad does three things. And if it does those three things correct as it relates to you, you will stay engaged in that ad for a couple more seconds and you may or may not take action. In that three, four, five, six seconds, if they don't do these three things, it's almost like you're counting down to hit the skip button so you can get to where you're trying to go. So as I share this model, you can, you know, everyone can start to see, wow, it does work. So here's what I recommend. If I want to create change or get someone engaged, step one is the word awareness. I first have to help people to become aware of two sub words, what and why. So if I can help Josh, you to become aware of what I want to talk about or why I'm talking about it, and I can help you become aware of what I'm talking about and why I'm talking about it from the context of why it could relate to you, then your brain is ready for step two. But if I communicate to you something I want us to go do, which is step three, that's going to be our action step. And you don't see why it pertains to you, this what factor, why, why would I want to do it? Then you're going to hesitate. You're going to resist. You're going to become passive aggressive. You're going to just walk away. You're going to ignore. You're not going to be engaged. So step one's awareness. If everyone is fully made aware of what and why, then our brain automatically goes to the second phase, which is then going to be 
the word engagement. Engagement means H-O-W, because now your brain's going to go to, okay, I understand what we're talking about and why. I understand what we need to do and why. I understand what you're bringing to my attention and why. So your brain goes to, how do I do this? How do I fix this? How do I, how do I apply this? Your brain wants all the H-O-Ws. And if I convey the H-O-Ws in a way that plays to you as a subject matter expert or you as the champion or you as the advocate or you as a participant or you as a beneficiary to the whatever, then your brain will automatically go to step three. And step three is the word commitment. So one is awareness, two is engagement, three is commitment. Commitment is going to be execution or W-H-E-N. When we're going to have application, implementation, we're going to be able to benchmark are we on track, ahead of schedule, behind schedule. So the problem we're trying to get an engaged workforce or we're trying to engage someone to do anything is we immediately jump to phase three and we want them to do something. We want the action step. Well, the action step only happens when you understand how to start to do the action step, step two, and you understand what and why we're talking about it, step one. So those are the three steps. Now, last answer. You can validate how important they are because think about why you, or if you're looking at an engaged workforce, why the workforce is not engaged they're going to typically give you one of the four answers I just gave you. They're going to say at number three, oh, I didn't realize I needed to do that right now. So that's W-H-E-N, which goes to commitment. Or they're going to say, oh, I didn't know how to do that. Well, they just said in the answer, H-O-W, so you're at number two. Or they're going to say, oh, I didn't realize that's what you wanted us to do. Or, or I, didn't, I didn't realize I was the one who was supposed to do that. And that's a what and a why. So if you do reverse analysis as to why people are not engaged, you can start to solve your own problems. And that's kind of one of the ways I reverse engineered this is I look at human capital development and look at organizations that are highly engaged. And then there's a lot of other answers. You have to make it value rich. You've got to recognize people. People have to feel like they got skin in the game. Your values, their values need to be in alignment. So we have to have in essence a collaborative working relationship. So there's a lot of other you know, ideas we can add to the conversation, but it starts with those three. So let's assume that there's a leader listening to this right now. They like what they hear, but that sounds like quite the process to go through. What would your insight or advice be to someone when they're they're thinking, I just need to get my people to do something. I don't want to have to think through all these different steps. Uh, what do you say? Well, two answers. One, if you want to, to, to excite, ignite, and get people to just to do something right now, you can always do that as, as a leader, as a supervisor, as a boss. It's called give them a directive. The problem with that is that the first time they get a chance to not do it and you're not around, there's that old adage, when the cat's away, mice will play, then they may not do it. And or if they feel like they're in an autocratic environment and they're being made to do something they're not really buying into, then they're going to mentally start to leave that organization, which means they're not going to be contributing and being innovative, one of our themes today. Or they may feel like this is not the right place for them. So now what they do is their performance bar drops down and they identify what's the least I have to do to still keep this job. So now the performance is not going to be rock star level. And then they may mentally and or physically start looking to leave you to go work somewhere else. So, again, the short term, yeah, that's an easy answer. Just do it or you're fired sort of mentality. And, and that does still work, whether it's in good economic or bad economic times. However, if you want people to buy in for the long haul and you want to get them excited, then guess what? There's three steps in, you know, suck it up. How about become a leader and quit whining yourself so your team won't whine? But if you get smart, those three steps aren't a lot of work, actually. It's just changing how you even talk, engage, and look at delegation or emails or initiatives or campaigns. Our next topic is how to build an innovation-driven company. And I'm guessing you do need that engaged workforce in order for an innovative company to actually be innovative. So what, what is this process for building that innovation-driven company? 
Great question. So in our Leadership Academy of Excellence program that you and I talked about uh, before, it, it, you know, when I come and work with an organization, I'm not a one-hit wonder. A lot of people do that, and it's a massive mistake. You can't put a Band-Aid on someone who's broken five of their, their bones. You have to fix it the right way. So there's a sequence of leadership programs we do, and, and, and viewers can walk, you know, go to my website and check out the Leadership Academy of Excellence. But within that, Josh, Module 6, um, there's a clue as soon as I said Module 6. There's a lot of work you've got to do before you jump into a specific need that you may have. So I've learned in leadership development, there's a chronological flow to that development, and there's a psychological development process. So in Module 6, we call it our Innovation Lab. And so how do you unleash uh, and ignite those creative juices in, in you, I, and everyone on your team. There's a lot of ways you do it. Here's a couple. One, create an environment, a culture conducive and inviting for, you know, critical thought and new ideas. So that means you have to make it safe for someone to challenge. You know what? You know, if there were a way you could look at that microphone system in front of you, Josh, at using your studio, that would allow you to be more effective and, and clearer when you talk, would that be of interest to you? See, it's a phrasing I just used, and it's talking about something that's of interest to you because that is, in essence, part of your product delivery. So innovation has to speak to the participant you're talking to or the one you want to invite into it. You can look at reward mechanisms. You can look at, in essence, you know, again, if something brings more value to the organization, you can then incentivize people. You can give them a percentage of the gain. Uh, you know, years ago, I became a partner in a training company and we had 144 employees and we were kind of flatlining. And so how did I unleash innovation? So I wanted to very quickly get in touch with what's the creative DNA of my 144 employees I just basically inherited. So instead of me tasking this out to some of my team, here's basically what I did. So here's, in essence, an actual story of unlocking innovation. So when I came into this, this CPE company and provided ongoing uh, educational credits to CPAs and attorneys so they can keep their license. I sent an email out to all of our employees and I said, here's what I want to do. I'm going to be the proverbial suggestion box on the wall sort of concept. If anyone has any ideas on number one, how we can innovate any of our existing products so that we'll have more value to our customers so we can potentially sell more, send me an email on what that is. Or if anyone has an idea of something we're not doing that we could bring to the marketplace that could generate more revenue, which means job security for all of us, then in essence, send those ideas to me so I can collect them. First thing that gave me was a pulse of my 144 individuals, see what my human capital is all about. So I'm not tasking that out as a leader. I wanted to know that. Second, I then said, I'm going to collect them for 30 days. At the end of the 30 days, I'm just going to reach in virtually, pull one idea out, and I'm going to give that person a $100 bill as a simple thank you for, in essence, contributing an idea. Second, the first idea I can implement, I'm going to give that person $100. Now, if I was a bazillionaire, I might change it. I might say, you know, any of the ideas I can implement, I'll give you 10% of the profit because 10% of the profit is going to cost me nothing. So let's say someone gives me a billion-dollar idea. I'm going to give them $100 million. It didn't cost me a damn thing. I mean, think about how much innovation that's going to unlock when people see money falling from trees. So, one, you get the ideas in. So at the end of 30 days, I actually had 22 ideas that I could immediately implement. So I gave out $2,200. One of them was a way to virtually digitize some online deliverables. And back in 2010, that was a rarity. Very few people were actually online delivering educational deliverables. I mean, it's, you know, everyone does it today. So again, the person who did that, in essence, that generated over $300,000 of immediate revenue to our company like that. So I went to her and I said, what's something that you would really like? I want to go beyond, you know, this $100. I mean, you, you gave us a phenomenal idea. She said, I'd love to have my own, iP uh, my own iPad. So I gave her the company credit card. She said, go up into town and buy one. She was stunned. It's kind of, you mean for the department? I said, no, this is for you. 
So she, you know, went up and bought one, came back. I mean, she's floating on the clouds all the way up until the day I left the company. But what was interesting is the department head came to me and she said, well, why am I not getting an iPad? And I said, because you haven't given me one innovative idea. This woman gave me $300,000. I can afford an iPad. Goodbye. Boom. So it's kind of like, you know, light, light the fire under everyone's butt. So there's a lot of ways to innovate. Collaborations are one. Partnerships are one. Creating focus groups is one. You know, again, unleashing the subject matter experts that are hidden on your team that sometimes you may not realize are there. So that's a host of ways to unlock innovative juices. And if you think about it, there's really not very many new things on the planet. Everything that's out there is an innovative adaptation, evolving it one step further from something that's already there. The electric car that, you know, Ford Motor Company says, well, the next number of years, all of our cars are going to be electric. That's nothing new. You know, Elon Musk and Tesla has been doing it for a while. Oh, guess what? Tesla's nothing new. That was innovated before he was there. He just figured out a way to commercialize it, monetize it. So innovation is out there, folks. It's a matter of moving the needle one step further. Well, Jeff, you've given us so much insight today in such a short amount of time. I'm wondering, is there anything that you'd like for us to leave this episode with today that we haven't talked about or maybe that you just want to reiterate to make sure we we definitely leave with that concept? Oh, you know, we've been playing a lot with innovation and creativity. I would bring it back to two words. And again, one's cliched, but it's a very powerful statement. I mean, innovate or die. I mean, that's what it comes down to. If you do not innovate, you're going to cease to exist. I mean, again, 2020 and the global pandemic caught a lot of business leaders with their pants down. To be blunt, they got caught in essence having no clue how to adjust their trajectory. Uh, or pivot. It's a buzzword of today, but since how my book is called Your Trajectory Code, I'll use trajectory. And again, I mean, I didn't see any Starbucks with a drive-up window on the planet go out of business. I didn't see any restaurant with a drive-up window go out of business on the planet in 2020. But a lot of restaurants that had walk-in traffic went out of business because they didn't understand how to innovate in an essence and, and take that. If you believe in your food product, then why didn't you have, in essence, order online? Why weren't you connected to Uber Eats? Why didn't you allow people to walk up and pick up product? Why didn't you adjust your website so it was more friendly for people to order online? Why didn't you, in essence, let people you know sit outside on a freaking curb and eat? I don't care. But again, see, if you don't innovate, you're going to be out of business. And again, those restaurants, using that as one example, I use this example to all of my clients. So it's so easy. No matter where you are in America, you can see shuttered restaurants. Or wherever you go globally, you can see shuttered restaurants. Is that again, if you would have brought your entire restaurant staff together and asked the very questions you've asked me today, most every restaurant would have stayed open for the past, you know, 2020, 21 year. And they probably would have made more money then than they made in essence the year before. So innovate or die, and what is your legacy? What are you going to be known for? If people have enjoyed what they've heard from you today, where would you like for them to go to find out more about what you're doing and how you can help them in their own leadership journey? Josh, thank you so much. Two ways. One, my name's on the screen, jeffreymcgee.com, so check the spelling. If you go to jeffreymcgee.com, you can see my leadership programs and our sales programs. Again, resources. There's some free articles you guys can all sign up for where each week I write an article on sales mastery, personal mastery, and leadership mastery. I don't sell anything in those articles. It's content-rich, either strategies or techniques, tacticals you can do right now. Uh, we have, in essence, some public programs that we do throughout the year in Las Vegas. So jeffreymcgee.com is one. If they want to find out more about our magazine that we do each quarter with phenomenal personalities that write for us, they can go to professionalperformancemagazine.com and they can get digital copies or sign up and have hard copies mailed to them as well. So thank you, Josh, for that invitation to share where people can find more about me. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Jeff. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Josh. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to this program, Life as Leadership. 
If you enjoyed what you heard from Jeff today, I encourage you to visit his website at jeffreymcgee.com. That link, as well as others, are in the show notes below or at lifeasleadership.com. Now, one thing I encourage you to do if you're interested in engaging your employees more and creating a more innovative culture is to download the free leadership action list. This will give you 52 different actions to be taking to lead more effectively, and to create a better, uh, more solid, and more engaged workforce. You can once again download this for free at leadershipactionlist.com. Until next time, keep living and leading well. Hey, thanks for checking out this trailer for the Business Bitcoinization Show. My name is Josh Friedemann, and I'll be with you each episode interviewing business owners about how they're using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses. You might be wondering about the name, and I'll get to that in just a second. But first, let me tell you a little bit more about the show and who it's for. Unless you've lived under a rock for the last decade, you've heard of Bitcoin by now. And if you're like me, you heard about it a while ago, but didn't do anything about it until the last couple of years. Then one day, for whatever reason, it finally clicks. And after that, you enter the Bitcoin rabbit hole, as they say. And the deeper you get, the more you see the value of Bitcoin. But you know, maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you don't know much about Bitcoin, but are interested in learning more. Either way, this show can help you. Each episode will introduce you to an executive or entrepreneur who's using Bitcoin, the hardest money on planet Earth, to improve their life and their business. So, what's with the name? Well, it's a play on the term hyper-Bitcoinization, which is used to describe the eventual rapid adoption of Bitcoin as other currencies get weaker and weaker in relation to it. When you compare a seemingly never-ending supply of dollars to a hard cap of 21 million Bitcoin that will ever exist... It feels like only a matter of time until hyper-Bitcoinization happens. The good news is we have the opportunity to be on the front lines of creating a new and frankly better system. Whether you're already sold on Bitcoin and it feels like I'm preaching to the choir, or you're curious to learn more, business Bitcoinization will help you understand how you and your business can be prepared to take advantage of the massive productivity and wealth that Bitcoin will enable. If business Bitcoinization sounds like a show for you, go ahead and subscribe. Obviously, you can subscribe in whatever podcast app you're using right now or go to www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. Once again, that's www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. I'm looking forward to sharing more soon. And until then, keep living and leading well.